0: Hello, I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast, sponsored by Shreddies. Satisfying multi cereal, but don't use the box to make a sword out of. On these podcasts, I look at the songs of Iron Maiden, and how they impacted me growing up as a boy in 1980s Birmingham. I reflect on them today as well, and see if my attitude and opinion has changed. On this week's show, I'm looking at the song, The Jewelists, and that's track 5 on the Power Slave album. Last week I looked at Flash of the Blade and I had some comments on the episode. I had someone called Rob Stark say did Bruce predict some scenes in the hit TV show Game of Thrones with his lyrics? He's referring to the bodies at your feet and the flames and and the whole vengeance thing and swords and this perhaps is one of the plot elements of the hit TV show Game of Thrones. The answer is I don't know if Bruce did predict this. I, I can't tell that. Although this might have been one of those questions that I'm not supposed to answer. It's just one of those sort of throwaway tweets that you get sometimes. Or, or maybe a rhetorical question is the correct term. I had similar anxiety recently when I posted a photograph of myself as a three-year-old playing a toy guitar. This was on Twitter and Ian Static 1812 responded by saying, Tell me about that guitar. I don't know if he literally meant to tell him everything I knew about it, and the whole experience, and all my memories. And and that would have taken up about 15 or 20 tweets. Or whether it was one of those phrases like, tell me about it, where he was just sort of showing an empathy. And maybe he owned the same guitar, so he sort of showed understanding. Luckily, I think I got away with it with a quick snappy response. I had Marjorie Tyrrell comments about Steve Harris's diary, and she wondered what Spangles and Pacers were. And these were things that he referenced when he was in the UK on the tour in 1984. Mary may recall he was complaining that Spangles weren't in the shops anymore. Spangles was a type of sweet. They were quite hard, flat sort of squares of different fruity flavours. They were a bit like Foxy's Glacier Fruits or Jolly Ranchers. They were very popular in the 1970s, but sadly they were discontinued in 1984, which is what Steve Harris was referencing. They had a brief comeback in the 1990s when people moaned about it before social media. There was no Facebook group. There was just, I don't know how it happened. Maybe there was a big petition. But anyway, they came back. And I thought they were okay. But I didn't remember the glory days in the 70s. So it was older people being nostalgic really. You can't get them anymore either. I wonder if Steve Harris was sad the second time they got discontinued. On the subject of paces, though, I do remember those. They were like soft, chewy spearmint sweets. A bit like Chew It. And they were interesting because they were white with a slight green pinstripe on them. They are very nice. Made your breath quite fresh. And So there you go. There's your answer, Marjorie Tyrrell. Pacers and Spangles were sweets in the UK. Maybe beyond. Maybe they sold them in other countries. Once again, I don't want the show to degenerate into a fest of sweets and, and chocolate and crisps and pop. I mean, yeah, I like mentioning them. But maybe people could talk about my analysis of the songs more. Um, But then again, as I've said before, maybe if I'm spot on with it, there's no need to comment. As I've said, this song's called The Duelists. And once again, it's about swords. Like last week, Flash of the Blade. The first line goes, He threw down the glove, you made the mistake of picking it up, now you're gone. That's got a nice sort of rhythm to it, especially when he sings it properly, not read out in my accent. Sort of a bit quicker, a bit like a train going clickety-clack, clickety-clack. He threw down the glove, you made a mistake of picking it up, now you're gone. Yeah, a bit like that, but again, maybe with a bit more emotion from Bruce Dickinson. In fact, might, might as well just play it. There's a slight similarity here to the opening line of Where Eagles Dare. I'll say it again with that train clickety-clack motion. It's snowing outside the rumbling sound of engines roar in the the night. So it's the same, I think it's called meter if you write it in poetry. Trevor will confirm this later. But yeah, it's the same pattern. And he does this on the first two lines of both songs. It's exactly the same, that that motion and then the holding of the the final word or or syllable. I'll play them side by side and see what you think. (laughs) Now, clearly, they're different tunes. He's singing where eagles dare higher. And then, of course, he does different vocal tricks when he holds that note on the engines that roar in the night. He almost goes down the scale on the word night. Night. That's a bit low for me, but I think he started off higher than that, didn't I? Maybe I should try that.
1: Night.
0: Yeah, I think when you're a proper singer, you can effortlessly go through the scales or the octaves. Clearly, I, I perhaps should practice that before I do a podcast about it. But I want to make it authentic. I want to show how difficult it is to be Bruce Dickinson. Anyway, that, that first line is, is that scale. Whereas on the dual list, the first long note is gone. It, it doesn't really do much with that note. And you might say, well, it doesn't need to because the music behind it is interesting and and, you don't want to detract from that. But actually, the music in the back of his scaled-down night on Where Eagles Dare is even more interesting. It's only on the second line of The Duelist where he gets a bit more fancy with what he does on that final note. On the second line, or second couplet, he says, at the end, the choice of weapons is done. Whereas on the second couplet in Where Eagles Dare, which I'm comparing it to, that note is a bit less interesting. So they've reversed the two. They've been quite clever. Even though they appear to have copied their earlier work, they've alternated those those beats, so it seems a bit different, so that people won't pick it up until about 35 years later when someone does a podcast. The song hits you straight away. So, you know, I've mentioned the first lines because they come in very quickly. And you're on the first chorus within 40-odd seconds of the song. So that's pretty impressive. And then it goes straight into the second verse and chorus. So already after less than two minutes you appear to have gone through most of the lyrics if you're reading them because there's only three verses in the whole song. Obviously with the song being called The Duelists it's about a duel. The three verses sort of go through the whole process. The first verse is the build-up, the second verse is the action and then the third verse at the end is the aftermath. From reading the lyrics I don't think Steve Harris has been in a duel like this. He wrote the song, though, so that's why I mention him. Maybe he had a few standoffs with ex-members of the band or the road crew about decisions. I don't think he'd have to throw down a glove to sort of arrange this meeting or these showdowns. He'd probably just ring them up or get someone else to ring them up. Interestingly, I don't think there's any photographs of Steve Harris wearing gloves, so I don't know if he's got any to throw down. Maybe in the winter he doesn't wear gloves. Um... I've seen some pictures of him in the winter, but he seems quite happy without them. I haven't seen any of him gardening, because of course he might wear gloves then. There is one picture of him wearing gloves, where he's standing with Dave Murray in a combat scenario. And I used this on my social media to promote the episode. So there you go, there's a picture of him wearing gloves, but not the sort that you'd expect to be thrown down if you were arranging a duel. It's said that the song might have been inspired by a film called The Duelists, which was in 1977. This isn't a surprise because, of course, Steve Harris has written other songs inspired by films. We've already seen a few. I'd say, though, the lyrics don't make this explicit because the lyrics are quite generic, I think. I think they're a bit obvious, how you'd expect someone to feel. And that's why I say I don't think he's been involved in the duel himself. I don't think they're detailed. Um, I mean, the film by Ridley Scott looks at like a lifelong rivalry between two people. And this isn't implied in the lyrics here. I didn't know much about duels personally when I was little, because you didn't get them at school. Any sort of fights or standoffs would have occurred at random in the playground. Some games that were played back then caused trouble and got aggressive, a bit like British Bulldog, and that got banned. Even Kiss Chase got banned at our school. I'll try and think why. I think think it was something to do with Trevor. I think. yeah, actually, yeah, I think I'll ask him about it. Uh, see see how he reacts to that and uh, might be revenge for some of the things he's brought up about me in the past. Yeah, I'll ask him why Kiss Chase was banned at our school. So as I've said, these were random events if there was any trouble. There was no arranged meeting like a duel in a cowboy film. In those films, men would use pistols in a duel, dueling pistols, and they're larger than muskets. You might remember that There was a bit of confusion about this in the episode about the trooper. Um, I got them mixed up with blunderbusses, which I think is a common mistake. But uh, hopefully um, that's behind me now and and perhaps I didn't need to bring it up, but I thought I'd mention it. In this song, the duelists are fighting with swords. They actually get the choice at the start of the song, at that bit where I said the choice of weapons is done. They chose swords. And I know this because later in the song, there are lyrics with words like lunge, and parry, and these are things that you shouldn't really do with a gun. These are swordy terms. I don't know if sword is a word. I haven't looked in the dictionary, but it sounds like it should be, so I'll go with it. A lunge is a lunge. A parry is like a block, and a feint is a special word. It's spelled differently to the faint that you might use if you're feeling ill, or if you're using your wax crayon, using lighter pressure on the coloring book. The feint used in the dualist has got an E in it instead of an A. Normally, I'd have had to use the dictionary to find out what these words meant when I was little. But I knew that this word meant like a fake action or a suggestive movement because it was described in my Paul Daniels magic set. You had to use deception or a faint to fool the audience. So I could use these techniques to pretend that I'd picked up a coin from under a cup. I'm a bit uncomfortable mentioning this because by admitting it, it might have you questioning whether I'm using tricks to deceive you as a podcast audience. I don't know what those tricks would be, but uh, I mentioned the word parry, and uh, this comes up twice, in the second verse and the third verse. Sometimes repetition is good in a song to reinforce a memorable phrase or hook, but I don't think it's necessary here, and I'm a bit disappointed that it didn't use block like I did earlier. He could have used that, especially in the line. A cut and a thrust, a parry a blow He could have said A cut and a thrust, a block and a blow And then we'd be marvelling At Steve Harris's use of alliteration In the chorus There's high vocals again A bit like we had in Flash of the Blade This is in the main bit where it says Fight for the honour But before that there are some O's It goes oh. And they're done in a lower fashion A bit like a rowdy mob At a banquet Swinging the tankards, waiting for their Sunday dinner. There's no photos of the band waiting for Sunday dinner on the inner sleeve of the Power Slave album. Not like in the Peace of Mind album. Here, they're standing in a tomb, looking menacing. But I look at that more on the album review show special, because I was criticised for going into that too much on the Where Eagles Dare episode. So I don't want to make that mistake again. Back to the vocals. And the first fight that Bruce sings Might be the highest note he's ever sung to this point. I'd have to check this out. The final dare on Were Eagle's dare was high, but he held on to this note, which meant he could cope with it easier. The fact that he does fight quite quickly suggests that he's just trying his best to get there and then stop quick in case he gets it wrong. I think when you sing a song that's in your upper range, you make it quick like this so no one notices if it's not quite perfect. Unlike other Bruce high notes, I'm not going to attempt to sing it. As I've said, the first two verses and choruses happen quite quickly. And at that stage of the song, it's like a nice satisfying quick number, maybe like sun and steel. You know, it's not that special, but it's good enough. But then, as I said, you see there's not many lyrics left. So what's going to happen in the rest of the song? Well, for nearly three and a half minutes, we get an instrumental passage, which basically reflects the duel, because between verses two and three, Remember the fight and the aftermath. Basically, this is the duel in musical form. It starts off with this quite bright, sprightly, skippy bit. Um, It's like a diddle dum diddle dum diddle dum. Um, And maybe I can sort of imagine the swordsman skipping backwards and forwards, sort of jousting a bit. Yeah, having a sort of a a prod and seeing what they can get away with. It's how the other person reacts. This section reminds me a bit of the the song Phantom of the Opera, that, that sort of passage there On the list, this section reminds me of like a pizzicato string section like when, when they pluck the strings on a violin I mentioned that Flash of the Blade made me think of a medieval performance in a royal court I think with a pizzicato string I'd expect something a bit more grand Mm. let's see if this works see how adaptable Iron Maiden's music is it could appear like a classical performance or it might be something that you'd expect as a theme tune for a hit TV show like Game of Thrones after this section there's a really good guitar solo from Dave Murray then later on there's a solo from Adrian so they've took it in turns a bit like they're having a duel themselves I'd say that Adrian wins because his was a bit longer although I might have liked it more as well after they've had their turn there's a a duel lead uh, where they both play but this is dual spout with an A in it. So that's, that's a bit confusing that we've had a dual and now they've got a dual lead. Um, maybe I should have said twin lead section. That would have been better. Um, but anyway, around all this, there's also sections where they add extra parts, so three or four guitars. And that's probably why it's never been played live because they can't replicate that. I discussed that last week with Flash of the Blade. It's another song where there's not much singing in the overall proportion of the song a bit like Phantom of the Opera, and maybe 22 Acacia Avenue. And funnily enough, these three songs all appear at the end of side A of an album. So this was a, a bit of a pattern, maybe. We've started to see the epic songs at the end of the whole album, at the end of side B, but it's almost like epic songs at the end of side A as well. So this is interesting. Obviously, I don't think that Die With Your Boots On comes in this category. I've mentioned a bit of repetition, haven't I? from this song and, and some previous songs. So so Where Eagles Dare with the, the rhythm of the singing and Phantom of the Opera with some of the instrumental bit. and Again, there's hints of the theme with Swords and Honour. We've seen that in Sun and Steel and Flash of the Blade. This doesn't mean I'm being critical of the song. It has its own identity. I think it's quite good. It's not a song that you'd probably pick out to play um, if you're going to pick, let's say, even 20 Iron Maiden songs. Even Twenty Eye Maiden songs from the 80s. You, you, you might not pick this one. But it's a nice underdog or, or one that's sort of just below the surface to bring out now and again. A bit like Raspberry Ripple Ice Cream, which is sort of not one you'd think of when there's more fancier flavours nowadays, but it's still a classic in its own way. The song ends with, with the line, fought to the death, which is the end of the chorus. And previously, the end of the chorus was fight for your life. So they've changed that that contrasts from life to death. Uh, so it's quite apt, and it ends the song.
1: Uh,
0: it's a sad end, but uh, good news is you can flip the album over and you've got to come. Right, I'm going to ring up Trevor now, see what he's got to say on the song.
1: Hi, Wayne.
0: Hi, Trevor. How are you doing?
1: I'm all right, yeah. I've got uh, lots on. Um, busy.
0: That's good to hear. Um... I'm talking about The Duelist, as you know. You've uh, been aware of this episode for a while. You've had your own reasons for that.
1: Yeah, looking forward to it.
0: Okay, well, first of all, uh, earlier on, I I remembered that the game Kiss Chase got banned at school. Uh, Do you remember why? No, I don't. That's strange. Uh, Luckily, I do remember. Uh, It was because of you.
1: Was it? What did I do?
0: Well, I don't want to go into specifics, but uh, it was deemed inappropriate behaviour.
1: OK, well, I vaguely remember that. Um, I don't think it was anything too weird. Not None of the girls complained. It was just jealous boys.
0: I don't think it was the, the kissing of girls that was the problem. Um, I think it was more the fact that you, you took your trousers off and, and ran around the playing field and, and climbed the Weeping Willow in just your vest.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I think I lost control. I maybe had too much jelly at dinner time.
0: OK, well, I thought I'd mention it anyway, uh, something for the listeners to reflect on.
1: I don't think that's very nice to mention. I've forgotten about it, and uh, rightly so. You know, it's not nice to bring up the past, is it?
0: What about you bringing up the Amstrad and Michael Patterson? Every series, I think that's come up.
1: Well, you just brought it up. I didn't bring it up. I haven't brought it up for ages.
0: All right, well, anyway, there's no point getting into an argument now. Um, The dualists, how do you feel about the song?
1: Yeah, I think it's quite a good song. I think it's better than it gets credit for. I think when songs aren't played live, People assume they're not as good, but I think this one's decent. Anyway, I don't want to talk about the song much. It's all about the poetry duel this week. Have you got Uncle Steve on the phone yet?
0: Uh, no, I haven't.
1: Well, we better go on with it.
0: Okay, well, well, hang on a minute. Wayne?
1: Hello.
0: Hey, how you doing? It's Uncle Steve, everybody. Good to
2: see you, man. What? Good to see you. Why, well, is he there?
0: Yeah, there's a seat there. Oh, cool. Yep, yeah, that's it. Just to let everyone know, uh, we're seated uh, two metres apart, and uh, I've got the window open for a bit of ventilation, so it's all above board. I did think about recording some entrance music uh, for when you came in, but actually you've you've took me by surprise a bit you've come in. uh, but Never mind. Um, Anyway, I've got some snacks over there for you. Oh, wow. Uh, Uh, A mixture of things, uh, like a mini buffet. Hey, do you happen to have any of that mince pie left over from last time I was here? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's some there, look. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll take some. Yeah, go, go for it. Mm, man, this stuff's good. Get the recipe for me. So, at last, it's the uh, poetry duel that, that people have been anticipating for a couple of weeks. Anyway, how are you feeling about this?
2: Uh, I'm not really nervous about the duel. Um, mm. You know, I figure if Trevor is putting out the same type of <clears throat> poetry that he normally
0: does.
1: Are you out of order? Shh.
2: I don't think I have anything to worry
0: about. Right. Well, uh, I've uh, given both participants uh, the topic of the duelists and uh, they've got an eight-line maximum limit. So uh, as the guest, um, as the challenger, if you like, uh, you can go first, Uncle Steve. Okay. I'll go first. I'll go first.
1: Uh, Yeah. Age before beauty.
2: Yeah. I've got it right here. Let me, let me, uh, here we go. The duelist. Bruce Dickinson really likes fencing. Steve Harris wrote this song. Flash of the Blade was written by Bruce. Is the Duelist really six minutes long? Why the obsession with fencing? Is Harris trying to impress? The lead singer who does it? Harris competing but maybe came up with less. Or did Bruce Bruce write his song after Harris showed his cards? I could see him chasing Steve with a sword in the courtyard. Or wait, I think it's Barton and Quinn trying to ask Steve if he thinks he'll win the game when they file a lawsuit over hallowed be thy name.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much for that. Thank you.
1: are you going to say, is that it? Like you do with my poem?
0: Can you Okay, well, well, I take it you weren't impressed then, Trevor?
1: No, it had no form or style. If anything, it was doggerel. but it wasn't even that good.
0: Hey now, be nice. Right, okay, well, rather than arguing, because I knew this would happen, um, we're here to do a duel about poetry, so uh, Trevor, can you read yours now, please?
1: Okay, here it is.
0: Okay, Trevor, go ahead.
1: Can you not interrupt me, please? Two men in an epic battle, as they cut and thrust and parry with their verse. Hmm. But when you stop and listen, it is clear which one is worth. <laughs> A duel where the pen is mightier than the sword. And as you lie defeated, I expose you as Hawklord.
2: <laughs> Hawklord. Okay, so what do you think
0: of Trevor's poem, then?
2: What do I think of Trevor's poem? Now, first off, I'm going to say this. He says he's going to expose me as Hawklord. Hmm. There is zero chance of that. Oh God. Zero, mm. So don't even imply it, Trevor. Now, what do I think of his <clears throat> poem? Well, he always says I'm predictable, right? Mm. He says my stuff is predictable, but from what it sounds like, he was taking a page out of my book with this poem. Well, I-, I was writing this down as he, as he said it, but l- listen to these, uh, a duel where the pen's mightier than the sword. I expose you as Hawk Lord. Come on. that's That sounds like something I would write. you wouldn't. So I guess I'm going to have to say, I think Trevor actually did
0: pretty good. Pretty good, Trevor.
1: Yeah, that's patronizing.
0: Okay, so I've got a decision then. I suppose I'm the judge, so I have to decide who
1: wins. I think it's pretty obvious. I only did six lines to give him a chance. It's still better. <laughs>
0: All right. Okay. Well, yeah, that's funny. It's up to me, isn't it? Okay. So, oh, um, well, I think, I think on reflection, I haven't had much reflection. But obviously, I've, I haven't got much time on a podcast. I think I'm going to call it a draw.
1: No, oh, you bottled it. How can his poem be anywhere near mine? Well, most listeners will have forgotten it already.
2: Yeah, that's not very nice. That's not very nice.
1: I had sound effects to play of people booing after his poem. But you didn't even deserve that. It is it didn't deserve any reaction. Just deserve silence.
0: Okay, Trevor. Well, I, I understand you're upset, but uh, no need to get nasty. Or well, I'm sorry Trevor's not happy. Um but it's been nice seeing you again, Uncle Steve. So good luck with your podcast. Hey, thanks for having me over
2: again. I really appreciate it. Uh and I appreciate you uh taking care of my airfare
0: to get over here. It it wasn't it wasn't so bad. Well, yeah, we've got a, a bigger budget on this series, so uh, it's, it's been nice. I um, haven't spent much of it yet.
1: When do I get my cut? Co-
2: oh, oh, yeah. W- w- write down Trevor's address for me real quick here, because I, no. I tried to go to his house last time just to say hi. I, I figured where I live. maybe we could get a picture together or something. Uh, I know he liked my flowing uh, mullet and everything, but I, I just wanted to make sure I had the right – could you just write it down for me?
0: Well, I can't actually give out the address due to GDPR and data protection. But uh, if you if you look at the upstairs window, you'll see there's a dinosaur sticker on it, and it's got Trevor written on it. Awesome, awesome.
2: Okay, tell, tell Trevor I'm gonna swing by real quick. No, you're not. Trevor, can you hear me? Well, yeah, no. you can hear me on that speaker. No. I'm gonna come by. I'll just just want to say hi real quick, okay? Thanks again, Uncle Steve. Good to see you. Hey, thanks, Wayne. I'll uh, see you next time.
0: Bye. Well, that was nice. It's good to. Have people who do podcasts meeting up and uh, yeah supporting each other. And if Uncle Steve does his own Iron Maiden zone, and that comes out same day as mine actually, um, as well as occasional other dates in between. Right. So anyway, uh, looking back. Oh, hang on, That's my mobile. Oh, it's Trevor in it. Hello. Hi, Wayne.
1: Listen. What's happening? Can't you hear it? It's Uncle Steve trying to get in. Trevor? I'm scared.
0: Trevor! He's alright,
1: Let me in. Come on. No, I don't want to. I gotta go back to Texas. Come on, Trevor. Go away. Hello? Leave Trevor? me alone, will ya?
2: Hello? Trevor! Where's he
0: at? Okay, well, Trevor's gone, so, uh. Moving on with the show. Okay, you can follow me on social media. I'm at Wayne Maiden on Twitter. I've also got a Ko-Fi page, so have a look at that as well. There's a few extra bits there. Going back to the song The Duelists, and uh, you may remember I was talking about the high note that Bruce Dickinson sang, Fight for the Honor." that fight. I said it was perhaps in his upper range because he didn't hold it for very long. Well, I've checked it out on a website called The Range Planet, which looks at singers and the range that they've got and when they've hit certain notes. And it seems that in the dualists, the highest note is E5. Now That might not mean much to you, but a C3 is the note C that's in the middle of a piano. So the number 5 suggests that it's two octaves up from this. And then, of course, two notes up, because C5, then D5, then E5. So that's the note he's singing. In fact, I'll play it now. So that's clearly a high note, isn't it? But it isn't the highest note he's ever got. And in fact, he's got an F5, an F-sharp 5, a G5, a G-sharp 5, an A5. He actually does a B-flat 5 on Back in the Village, which is next week. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll look out for it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, he did it on Flight of Icarus as well. So according to this, the highest notes he sang in the studio we're Back in the Village and Flight of Icarus, which are B-flat fives. He has gone higher than this on live performances, but I'm not going to go into detail about this because this is all on the Range Planet website. So have a look yourself. It's quite interesting. So while I thought that the dualists gave one of his highest notes, he's actually surpassed that quite a lot. Several notes above it. So that's the end of side A, five songs on Power Slave. We've got three songs on side B. So I'm going to flip the record over And we'll have a look at it next week We've got back in the village So that'll be good Uh, Hopefully Trevor's alright And uh, he's recovered from the duel And uh, normal service resumed So uh, I hope to see you next week And uh, just play out with a bit more of uh, the duelists for you Thanks for listening Bye bye